The sermon is called A City on a Hill. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy living word this morning. Lord, thank you that we get to join in with your church for thousands of years all across the globe right now, just around you and your word. I'm just so thankful that we don't have to wonder what you are like or gather around clever ideas or people's opinions. Like we have your truth this morning. We have your truth. It's a rock. It's, it's clear. And so I just thank you for it. And Holy Spirit, would you just help us as your church to understand your truth, to obey your truth, and more than anything, help us to see Jesus this morning as we read and study your word. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, have you ever read a good book or seen a good movie or even a TV show and it's like somewhere else? It's like a different, maybe it's a different country or maybe it's like a different setting, even like kind of like a different universe, if you will, like Lord of the Rings or whatever. Have you ever seen it and it's so good, you're like, I wish I could live there. Like, I just wish that could be my life. Um, there's a movie out right now called Black Panther. This is, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Has, raise your hand if you've seen Black Panther. Maybe some of us? Okay, yeah. So it's like one of those superhero movies. Um, and it's uh, the, the world in this movie is called Wakanda. Okay, it's this kingdom set in Africa. And it's like modern day, and it's, uh, but it's like got this crazy technology where it's like super advanced, but they kind of disguise themselves. So they're like hiding in plain sight. So you go to Africa, and they're like wearing, you know, normal African clothes, singing African music, but then like they have like flying spaceships and all this stuff. And you're like, when I just, I just watched this last week, and I was like, I wish, number one, I was African. Number two, I could live in Wakanda. That looks so good. I want that. Um, listen, the church should be like that to the world. They should look in at us and be like, I want that. I want to live like that. I want my family to be like that. I wish I could treat people and they could treat me like that. Like the church is to be a city on a hill. Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, I think we have the verse, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Like we, you, the church, are a light. You are a light that, that like the whole, everyone around you should be noticing. Like there's hope that like we should be communicating. The world should look and see like, man, there's hope there. There's light, there's truth. Another metaphor is the church is like this, we're like an oasis in the middle of a desert, right? Like this world is thirsty and it's hungry and people are tired and exhausted. They're not satisfied, but the church should be this like place of flourishing, like there's shade and relief 
and rest. There's water. There's like, I can get nourished there. Another metaphor, we're like this hospital. The church should be like a hospital for wounded and broken people. Like there's healing. Like you can come and like get better here. And listen, if you're like kind of wondering about should I join this thing or not, um, and, I, and you're like, I'm kind of messed up. Like I kind of, I don't know if I have it together like these church people do. I just want to say, hey, us too, like welcome to the hospital where we all are broken and need healing and we come every week and we gather around Jesus who is our source of healing and life. And so our text this morning is a picture, it's a little picture of the church as a city on a hill, place of hope and refuge where the presence of God is so real, like people are getting physically healed. And so we're going to walk through these five verses and we're going to look at the five, five qualities in these verses of the city on the hill, of the church, of who we are. Um, before I, we list them for you, there are many uh, things that a church is besides these five. We're just looking at these five verses. Uh, this isn't going to list like preaching the word of God or prayer or persecution. As we see, those are in Acts, like surrounding the verses. Those are things that are also what we are. But we're going to look at what these five verses have to say about us as the church. So the five things, five qualities of us as a church, a city on a hill are, are this. Number one, signs and wonders. Number two, we're continually gathering. Number three, we're rejected and revered. Both. It's interesting. Number four, we're being built up by Jesus. And number five, we are hope for the world. So we're going to look verse by verse and see these five qualities as, as our identity as a church, as a city on a hill. So number one, signs and wonders. Uh, look again at verse 12. I think we even have it up here. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Um, you just like, we kind of maybe are used to this idea, but just pause for a second and think about how amazing this is, okay? It makes sense when God became a human that he would do signs and wonders. That makes sense. It makes sense that God would heal people and raise them from the dead and supernaturally give them food because he's God. But how radical is it that Jesus would leave and God would continue to work signs and wonders through regular, messed up, ordinary people? Just think, just think about that in a fresh sense. God chose and chooses to work miracles, like breaking the laws of nature through regular, ordinary people. Um, this is a little bit difficult for us, if not a lot difficult for like a modern American, right? Like we're, we live in a scientific age and we've just kind of used to like, listen, the, the universe has its laws and those laws don't break. Like gravity always works. Like that's, we get that. We've learned that in school. Um, but I just want to say God is not bound to the laws of nature. In fact, he made them and he can do whatever he wants to do. He, he made a guy survive in a whale for three days. And people are like, well, that's impossible. And it's like, well, yeah, like God, God is able, he made the whale. He can do stuff like that. And so when we read something like this, signs and wonders are regularly done among the hands of the apostles. Maybe one of our first thoughts is like, okay, yeah, but that was just the apostles because they were superhumans, right? Like they had super strength. They were awesome, extra holy. They were different than us. But what Peter says to the crowd two chapters before this is really helpful. This is what Peter said after they healed a guy. 
He says this, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety, we have made him walk? And then he goes on to explain, listen, this guy was healed simply because of faith in Jesus. He's like, I'm not special. We're not that special. Jesus is just able to heal people. And, and, and why do you wonder at that? Like God is able to heal people. And this is, this is honestly maybe something that makes us uncomfortable in America because it really does confront our like natural scientific worldview. But God's just not bound to the laws of science. Remember Moses? Remember all of the things that happened in Egypt? Like you can't explain that stuff. And, and scholars even tried like, listen, sometimes there's this freak thing when all these flies, the wind blows a certain way and all the flies come in. And sometimes, you know, if like the water's bad, all the frogs come out. And, you know, sometimes the sun just goes black. Maybe it was an eclipse for a couple days. Like we don't know. Like we try to explain this book as if God isn't God. But like, God is God, and he is able to work signs and wonders. Remember Elijah, who just prayed it wouldn't rain, and it didn't for three years, and then he prayed and it rained? I mean, we, see, we saw Jesus healing people supernaturally. We see the apostles healing people supernaturally. And then as we go on to read the book of Acts, we will see regular people, not even apostles, continue to work signs and wonders. And I just want to say this, church. There is no indication in, in the Bible that God is done working supernaturally, miraculously in his people. There's just, it's not in this book. In fact, there's every indication as we read the rest of the New Testament that the opposite is true. I'm going to read you a good amount of verses just so we can see this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 19, notice this. Peter's referring to the book of Joel, and he, he's referring to this prophecy, and he says, "...in the last days it shall be, God declares." I will pour out my spirit, one of those next words, on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And then he goes on to say, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and and signs on earth below. And it's just really significant. He's like, listen, sons and daughters, it's not a male thing. It's not a female thing. And I'm even on the servants, like the highest up, apostles and the servants, the lowest, this is something God does. And then notice what it says, I will show wonders. That's significant. It's not like people are awesome and, and like the church is able, we have like the magic powers. No, it's that God is working in and through his people. In Galatians chapter three, verse five, Paul's talking, there aren't any apostles there. He was the only one apostle who went to them. And this is what he says to the church in Galatia. This is a regular local church like us. Does he who supply the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's just like assuming like this is just what happens in a local church. Miracles happen and they happen by faith. In Acts 6, in in, uh, the very next chapter in Acts, we see Stephen. He's not an apostle. He's a deacon. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great signs and wonders among the people. And then another one of the deacons, his name was Philip. Two chapters after that, he also wasn't an apostle. It says this about Philip. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
Like, this is something the Lord does to kind of like get attention, right? That would get attention. Somebody's been deaf their whole life or they can't walk and now they are. People are like, whoa, what is this about? So that they would pay attention to the word of God and the, the gospel of Jesus. I'm gonna read us one more. Uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul's writing to another local church about like, this is what happens in the local church. He says this, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And then verse four, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Church, you are a supernatural people. It's part of your identity. That's who you are. Like, you know, we look at Elijah and we're like, man, he was so awesome. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his book, hey, Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. There wasn't anything special to Elijah. He just prayed to God. He believed in God and God worked in and through him. Church, this is part of your and my identity as the people of God. Do we like embrace that and believe that? Are we praying with faith like that? Like the Bible teaches us we should. And listen, I'll be really honest with you. I lack faith in this area. I just do. When I was reading this and like, I'm gonna have to preach about signs and wonders. I was like, how many have signs and wonders have I seen with my own eyes? I'm like, maybe a couple, but even then I could like doubt, like, no, nah, maybe that just happened on its own. Like, and I, I lack faith. I'll confess I lack faith in this area. And I repent of that. I believe God in his word, but it's just hard for me. Like, God, why don't we see more of these things? Why don't we see more? And as I was wrestling with the Lord, like, man, I just, I wish we could like have a little demonstration, like someone could come up in the middle of the sermon and be like, look, see, God does that. And, and I just didn't have that. And I think what, number one, there's kind, of, there's kind of two things we have to go. Number one, we have to go to the word of God. And we got to trust what he says and not like our own minds and our own experience. We just got to trust the word of God. And, and I want to say, when I look at the word of God, I really do believe God created the universe from nothing. I just, I do. I mean, it, it makes actually makes sense. I do believe he actually split the Red Sea. Like that actually happened. I believe, I actually believe God rained bread from heaven for 2 million people every day for 40 years. I, I believe that. I actually have faith to believe that. I believe Elijah prayed and it didn't rain and he prayed and it rained. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, if we don't believe that, we should all, literally all go home. We are wasting our time. Paul says, we are the most to be pitied if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. I believe the book of Acts happened and the disciples and Stephen and Philip and Paul, like God moved through them. And listen, I believe God is still alive and well. I do. I believe God is on, Jesus is on his throne. And I believe that the same spirit who worked miracles in and through Jesus and rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit is in you and me. I believe that. I really believe that. And I believe God is able to heal and do signs and wonders and 
I believe he's able to do that. And so when we have this doubt from our lack of seeing it in our experience, I think the first thing we do is we just go to the word of God. This is true. The second thing we do is we just, I think we keep asking and we trust God when he doesn't always say yes. I was talking to Carol this morning. She's our women's ministry. And I was like, Carol, have you seen miracles? Like, have you seen, could I share your stories? And she's like, you know, maybe a couple I've heard personal, I haven't seen a lot. And we were like, why doesn't God do this? In, in, especially in America. Why, why here, we hear stories of the global church and the persecuted church and we hear stories, but why don't we see this all the time? And I think uh, we as Americans are actually really similar to the Jewish believers at the time. This is what J- the Jewish believers always did to Jesus. They would walk up to him and be like, show us a sign, prove yourself, show us a sign. They had this obsession with signs and Jesus is like, I'm not gonna give you what you were asking for. I, I'm gonna give you me. Am I enough for you? And I think there are times when, like Carol said this, maybe just God's smarter than us. And maybe he knows what he's doing. And maybe when he doesn't perform a sign and wonder, like he's, he knows what he's doing. And I think especially for my heart, especially here in America, like, man, if someone did a miracle, like we'd all have a video on our phone, be viral, like we'd be famous. We'd be going like TV interviews, like that's who we are. And you know what would happen? We, we get obsessed over the signs. And we forget about Jesus, who the signs are all about. Remember, the word sign points to Jesus. And so I think we continue to ask and we continue to pray and we continue to seek God and believe his word. And we just trust him in his time. Listen, here's what we don't do, church. Oh, I'm wounded because God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm done praying. I'm done asking. I'm done believing. This is like we don't have permission as a city on a hill, as part of our identity as a church. We don't have permission to just not believe in these things. We keep asking and seeking and praying. Number two, the second quality of us as a church is we are continually gathering. It says this in the end of verse 12, they were all together in Solomon's portico. Uh, Funny word, Solomon's portico. What that is, is they would gather in the temple there in Jerusalem and the temple had like various courtyards and one of them was Solomon's portico and what's profound about this was it says they were all together is listen women actually met with men back in the day and that was radical that was actually when they would meet all together people were like well what is happening here why why are women and men all together Jews and Gentiles it was this group worshiping together in this courtyard in the temple and that was radical at the time something unique to the church as a city on a hill is people should look at our gatherings and be like, why are they meeting with them? Like, that doesn't make sense. That's not how we do things. The church, when we are obedient to the word of God, we have been on the forefront, listen, of like gender equality, racial reconciliation and equality. We have always been on the forefront. When we've been unfaithful to the word, we've been some of the worst offenders. But we as a church are to all gather together around Jesus. And that's one of the proofs that Jesus is real when people like us who don't have a lot in common, who maybe like your people and my people don't get along, when we can meet together around Jesus. And I just want to say this, God has always put a priority on the gathering of his people. When he called them out of Israel, he began to create this this gathering and he taught them how to gather and how to worship together. Like this is important. It was at a gathering that the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. 
yeah, I mean, listen, I, when I spend time with the Lord, I'm like, God, I want more of your spirit. Like, but it, there's something unique to the gathering. There's something God does uniquely when we gather together. It was at a gathering that Paul and Barnabas, the first like international missionaries were, were sent and called out. It was at a gathering. When we were like, God, what's your will for my life? What's my calling? Do we tend to think of that like as just an kind of uh, individual thing? Or like, no, like, I'm a part of this gathering. And maybe God's going to lead me and guide me as I'm at a gathering. You guys, it was at a gathering here at Reality. I shared the story a few weeks ago that, that the Lord like radically redirected my life. It was at another gathering of Reality like staff and pastors that the Lord really spoke clearly to my wife and I. Like, hey, this is your family for life. This is your church family. Like the Lord just speaks really clearly as we gather. And uh, the, the author of Hebrews knew that there's something in the human heart that just kind of wants to like, mm, kind of annoyed at that, don't really like them, don't really like that song, I don't like this, and so I'm just going to go over here and be with Jesus myself. That's part of how it is to be a human being. And he, he, he gives us this encouragement in Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, it's, it's important that he says, as is the habit of some, because uh, that's still the habit of some. There are probably people in your life who know, you know they love Jesus, but they don't gather, and they have reasons why they don't. And Paul's like, listen, that's, some people do that. Don't do that. Don't neglect to meet together. Listen, the church is not perfect, as we've already stated. It's not a you know, country club where you pay your dues and you get served like we're just a bunch of broken people, but we, are, we do not have permission to not gather together. Um, that whole, like, I love Jesus, not the church, that's just not a thing. Like, this is Jesus' church. This is his thing. This is how we meet Jesus together. Uh, some, some would say, I don't want to get this quote wrong, saying, I love Jesus and not the church is, is like saying, I forgot it, something about like, I forgot it, something about having a mom. The church is, the church is our mom. You can't be like, listen, don't, I don't know, forget, just forget what I said. I forgot the quote. It wasn't in my notes. I shouldn't have trusted my memory. Um, but listen, I know you guys would never say, I don't need to gather because you guys are here gathered after all. But here, this is actually a little special moment. If you're listening to this on a podcast two years later, listen, Jesus loves you. Get your butt to a church. This is where Jesus calls us to gather. And this is what the church says. Yeah, get to church. So we are called to gather together. That's part of who we are as a city on a hill. Uh, number three, the third quality of the church is this. The church is rejected and revered. Look at verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Um, there, there are two really unique reactions that we should always be getting from the world, and we need both of them. We need both. We, the first is rejected. We, we, we've already been seeing that a bit in Acts. We see a lot more persecution is coming in the book of Acts. We as American, as American church are kind of experiencing like maybe cultural rejection. We know that the global church, there's persecution. That is important. And I think that's one we are maybe more used to. We're used to hearing that. Like Jesus said, you know, people are gonna hate you. They hated me. They're gonna hate you. But there's also a sense in which we should be esteemed and revered by the world. That's part of what it is to be a city on a hill. That's, that's what was going on here. 
they held them in high esteem. What it was talking about, none of the rest dare join them, is people would come to the temple, they would see this crazy group of people off in Solomon's portico, be like, that's really interesting. And they didn't just despise them. They esteemed them. They're like, wow, something unique is happening there. Isn't that what's his name who just got healed? And wow, look what's going on. But like, I don't know if I can join him. It's, it's kind of like, for me, I'm not a very confident surfer. So if, you, if when I go and there's huge waves, I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. And like, I'm not getting in. That's not for me. The world should look at the church like that. Like, wow, that's awesome. Like, ah, I don't know if that's for me. Like, there should be the sense of like, they, they hold us in high esteem. That's what it says right there. They held them in high esteem. And I just want to ask us, can we say our city, our community, our neighbors, our bosses, our family members hold you, us, in high esteem? Are we highly esteemed in the restaurants we go by the servers? Are we highly esteemed by the people who live around us? Like, they're kind of weird. They believe in Jesus. Like, there's something unique, but like, there's something awesome about that. Like, I esteem them. What's, what's going on there? Are we, as a church, are we living in such a way that those who don't even believe in God esteem us? Like, there's something there to them. And I just want to say this. There's a real gospel, like, like evangelistic opportunity here. Because when the world should see us as, as a church, they should see us to be more about most, many of their own values. Like, man, they are really, really good at caring for the poor. They're so good at caring for the oppressed. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a part of this nonprofit over here, but like the church, look what they do. Uh, There's actually this amazing quote from a Roman emperor, like the king of Rome in the fourth century. His name was Julian. And he said this about the church. This is awesome. This is what he said. I don't have it up here. I'll read it to you. He says this, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Like, that is how our American culture should look at us. Man, this is this weird superstition, but they're so good at caring for the poor. They're so good at caring for the oppressed. And uh, I'll even get a little bit political. Are, are, is our view on the poor and refugees and immigrants shaped from the Bible or from like what party we belong to in politics? I just want to say that. Is the Bible shaping your view of the poor and oppressed and sojourners and illegal immigrants? Because it has a lot to say. And it says we should be on the forefront of caring for them, providing for them. When, listen, when we stand before Jesus, I don't want to defend uh, my disobedience by saying, I was just trying to be a good American. I don't think that's going to fly to Jesus. I don't, sorry, America, what? Where is America? Like, I'm the king of kings. Did you obey me and my word? We have a real, here's the thing. We have a real gospel opportunity here, though, because the world looks on and they should see us caring for the poor better than anyone else. They should see that. We as a church should care more for unborn babies and their mothers than anybody else. We as a church should care more for the racial reconciliation and tension in our culture than anybody else. 
That's a gospel opportunity. It really is a gospel opportunity. The church should look at us and how we live and how we spend our time and serve and see a city on a hill. Man, that is the way life should be. I don't believe that stuff necessarily, but like I kind of wish I did because that looks awesome. We, that is a gospel opportunity as a church. Number four uh, is we as a city on a hill are built by Jesus. It says in verse 14, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Um, The book of Acts begins, we've said this a few times, it says Luke was writing about his first book of Luke and he said, I wrote to you all that Jesus began to do and teach. What he's implying is the book of Acts and since then Jesus is still acting and teaching and working. And so it's profound that the wording says believers were added to the Lord. Who's Who's doing that adding? I'll tell you, Jesus. Jesus is doing the building here. Jesus builds his church. Salvation is of Jesus. Listen, we have a lot to do, but salvation, changing a heart of stone into a heart of flesh is something only Jesus can do. And when we're being faithful to try and do all that Jesus has called us to do, he builds his church. He will build his church. And listen, I want to see more miracles and signs and wonders. And I I want to be a better light to everyone in my life. But I want to suggest this, you guys. The greatest miracle on earth is when someone doesn't believe in Jesus and then they do. That is the greatest miracle on earth. That is actually more impressive than a mountain moving. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to. Say to this mountain, move. Listen, mountains move. We've seen it happen. In our community, it's happening in Hawaii. Mountains move. And listen, do you know what is a bigger mountain is a heart of rebellion to Jesus. That's a mountain, a heart that doesn't believe in Jesus. But Jesus is able to move that mountain and make them a believer in himself. And so that should be a quality to the church, a city on a hill. Look what Jesus is doing. He's adding believers more than ever to the church. And then number five, the fifth quality of the city on a hill is this. The city should be a hope, hope for the world. The last two verses say this. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And we've already said this. We as a church should be a place of hope for broken, sick people. Physically broken, spiritually broken, emotionally broken. We should attract, we should attract people like this. They should be like, man, I'm broken, but there's hope over there. There's something going on there. Maybe there's hope for me. And we know as the church, this was us. Who of us wasn't broken? And yet we found hope in Jesus and in the church. And those around us who don't know Jesus, we should be like Peter on some level. Like, man, I just want to get close to them. I think there's hope when I get closer to them. 
Maybe just their shadow. Maybe some of this would rub off on me. It's kind of like superstitious. They didn't know anything. But like they were at least saying like there's hope here. I heard once a woman touched the garment, the edge of Jesus like garment and she got healed. Maybe that, maybe that would happen here. But the point is they saw hope in the church. And not only were people coming, it says at that second line, they were bringing the sick. And that's profound because there are some people who are so physically broken, they are not getting themselves there. They need someone else to grab them and bring them to Jesus. Some people will come on their own, but some people need to be brought. And that is part of our job as a city on a hill. Listen, I see broken people and I want to grab them and say, hey, come, there's hope for you here. That's, there's hope, there's refuge for you. Now, these, these five qualities of us as a church are essential. Um, but I want to tell you about the best part of our city on a hill. Jesus is here. What's the best part of the kingdom of God? It's the king. Jesus is here. All this wonderful stuff, miracles and healing and hope. Listen, they're things only Jesus can do. And as, as people went to get rest in Peter's shadow, listen, we find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We have a real place of refuge that we get to come to every week. And as people came for physical healing and they wanted to get right, man, whatever wounds you have, however your body is breaking down, whatever your past is, Jesus is coming soon and will make you well. And though the people were like, man, I don't know if I should join in. I'm kind of tentative. I want to say this. We can dare to enter God's presence because Jesus came and he tore the veil that separated us from God. He is our high priest who went into the holy of holies and made the perfect sacrifice so that us who were broken, rebellious sinners could have hope could be in the presence of God, forgiven of our sins. That's the best part of our city on a hill, that we who were lost and sinful and hated God could be brought in and made right with God. And I I just, I want to say this. If you're kind of on the outside right now, if you're like, I'm not sure about this, I just want to encourage you, there is real hope for you in Jesus. There is hope for you in this ragtag, random group of people. Because, man, we have all kinds of baggage and history and drama, but we have found hope in Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, man, repent of your sin and rebellion to God and come be with Jesus. You will find hope and healing and refuge for eternity, forever. And so church, right now, we're going to worship our king. We'll confess our sin, our shortcomings. We'll take communion together to remember the cross where his body was broken, his blood was poured out. We'll have prayer here. If you have, you know, wounds that need healing, if you have needs in your life, come and pray. And then let's fix our eyes on our king, who's the king of our city on a hill. Amen. Jesus, all of our hope is in you. Jesus, where else would we go? We know when we've turned to other things, to other substances, other people, to our own just trying to pull it off, like it just doesn't work, Lord. Thank you that there is real rest and real refuge in your presence, Jesus. 
in the city that you are building, that is the church, we just say thank you that you went, you came, you left your throne and you came and grabbed us, wandering sheep and brought us home. You've been healing us. You forgave our sin and you're teaching us what it is to be your people, Lord. So, so would we be who we are called to be? And we believe that that will happen, Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, as we worship you, as we seek to obey you. Thank you that though, man, we've fallen short in these five areas, but thank you, Jesus, you don't fall short and you haven't fallen short. You went to the cross for all of our sin and shortcomings as a church. And so all of our hope is in you this morning, Jesus. We look to you now. We worship you now, Jesus.